Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. Join us today as we learn from God's word in Habakkuk. We pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. Amen. If you guys can grab your Bibles and turn with me to Habakkuk, chapter 1 is where we are. We have a lot of ground to cover, so let's just begin. Quickly, a little bit of a recap. We're, this is our fourth sermon in Habakkuk. The first one, we kind of covered the history to help us understand the hardships kind of leading up to this book and to the, to the conversation that Habakkuk is having with the Lord. And then the second week, we talked about coming, reminded everyone to come to God honestly. Like Habakkuk comes to God with honesty and, 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 and he earnestly seeks the, God, seeks the Lord, similar to, to Jesus earnestly seeking God in the garden. And then last week, we... We talked about how when we are out of place, being put back in place by God is, is one of the nicest things that He can do to us. Even though we lose sight sometimes of the difficulties that, that sin is the enemy and that ultimately God is about bringing glory to Himself and about saving His children, bringing His children joyfully home to Himself. This is where we've been. Again, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast or watch the videos to get caught up. Today, Habakkuk shows us uh, something really interesting, something incredible, actually. I think there's, there's some simple truths in this text that we need to remember, and there are also some things that are just really, really good. I think in this section, Habakkuk shows us how to wrestle with God. How do we wrestle with the Lord? How do we, how do we confront the Lord? How do we deal with our difficulties, our, our seemingly, discrepancies, seemingly discrepancies in the way we understand who God is and, and what we see in our life? How do we, how do we see a healthy, how do we come across healthy to the Lord? How do we approach Him? What is expected of us? And we kind of see that in this progression in, in Habakkuk and where he's going. We see that he is, he's questioning the Lord, but he's doing so in a way that I believe that if we could just kind of apply this to our lives, even in, in situations like right now where, where you're watching me through a camera because we're not together and you're stuck at home, this is one of those times where I feel like this could really help us understand how to move forward with the Lord. And so we'll, we'll read it real quickly. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to read all the way through to chapter 2, verse 1. Are you, this is, the, this is Habakkuk's second complaint. So he's, he's prayed, he's come to the Lord, the Lord has answered him, and then he's coming again in response to the Lord's answer that was so difficult last week. It says, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and in his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and is mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint." Okay, so now remember, this is a really difficult section because God has just told Habakkuk that, hey, I'm responding to your question. He, he's not, Habakkuk's not coming at God kind of like frustrated that God's announcing punishment to Israel. He's actually coming at God frustrated because he's already 
he's already come to God, said, hey, how long? Where are you? What's going on? Are you going to deal with the sinfulness of your people, of the people of Israel? And he, he initiated this conversation with God. And because of the need for judgmental intervention, God said, hey, this is what's going to happen. Instead, what Habakkuk's doing now is his concern centers on the problem from his perspective of God using the obviously depraved Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to carry out his righteous judgment on his chosen people. And he's kind of expressing stunned horror. Like, how, how, this doesn't even make sense. These people are horrible. They're atrocious. They're, they're nasty people. And he's going, I don't, I don't get it. Now, remember, the first conversation that he came with the Lord, he said, how long? So there was a long season. There was a long space of time where Habakkuk was wrestling with God and going, what is going on? What is going on? Where are you? And then God answers him, and he comes in here. If you're, if you're a note taker, we're going to have some points today, so that might be helpful. But we, in looking at this text, I see that there are basically five things that Habakkuk does that can kind of be a, a model, so to say, or a way for us to posture ourselves when wrestling with God through difficult things, especially through difficult things, because a lot of times we won't make it through many of these steps if it's not that hard and we can kind of seemingly get out of it on our own. This is when you kind of come to a spot of desperation. You, you know, Habakkuk has just heard that all of his friends, his family, his, his place, everything that they're going to do, they're going to be destroyed by an, a ruthless people that God has raised up. And so when he hears that, it's not like he can go to the people and say, okay, hey, God has said this. How can we thwart God's plans? No, he's, he's coming back to God and saying, God, well, then you alone need to answer these things. You alone have the answer for me. And so there's five things that we see when wrestling with God. The first one, when wrestling with God, we must come honestly to God. We talked about this two weeks ago, so I'm not going to cover it too much. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. But basically when praying, we need to be confidently, faithfully, earnestly seeking the Lord being 100% honest with him, telling him we don't need to come and, and, and doctor up our language or, or clean ourselves up and come before the Lord. No, we can come before him with snot-filled Kleenexes, tears down our face, frustration, and come to the Lord honestly. This is what's expected of us. This is what God wants of us. And we saw that Jesus modeled this in the garden when he knew the plans, and he still asked for God another way if it was his will. And there's still this submission to him. And so that's, that's the first one. Again, like I said, we, we covered that out of the first prayer, and I would encourage you to go back to that. The second thing that we see in this text right here, when, when wrestling with God, we must come to him based on his character. I think too often when we, when we come to God, we wrestle with God, we, we, we don't necessarily know how to, how to answer the questions or, or where we're going. And he starts in the very first thing. Now, one scholar thinks that he's being He's being kind of feisty or almost um, irreverent in the sense when he says, are you not from everlasting? And I think whether he's being feisty, if you've ever been in that argument with someone where you're like, don't you believe X, Y, or Z, or don't you, aren't you this way? Like, I think he's desperate. He's pleading to God saying, are you not from everlasting? Is this not who you are? God, you are a God of everlasting. It's not weak faith, but perplexed faith that Habakkuk has. If the Chaldean conqueror is ordered by God to treat Israel with the same ruthlessness with which it shall manhandle other nations, then what will have happened to the distinctive role of Israel as God's chosen people? And so, so Habakkuk's coming to the Lord. He's coming to God. He's wrestling with God. He's, he's being honest with him. And he's coming to him and saying, look, I, I, know who your I know what your character is. I know who you are. This is who you say you are. And whether or not he meant to or not, he actually quotes Isaiah 
when Isaiah was trying to encourage King Hezekiah. Because uh, when, when Sennacherib of Assyria was, had threatened Jerusalem in 2 Kings 19, 25, he, he says the same thing, are you not from everlasting? So there's a, there's a way to wrestle with God where we speak things into him about his character. God, are you not all-powerful? God, are you not sovereign? God, are you not eternal? These are, these are questions you can come to the Lord based on his character that the scriptures point out. There's nothing wrong with wrestling with these. It's when we wrestle with them and say that these must not be true of you. No, what Habakkuk's saying, it's very different. He's not coming and saying, you must not be from everlasting if this is what he's doing. He's saying, no, 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 if this is what you're doing, it doesn't make sense because I can't add it together with the fact that you are everlasting that you are eternal, and that because you are eternal, there's a promise that he, Habakkuk, and every other person of God knew was that they were his people, and that if God is everlasting, then we would be everlasting, and that that's the true marriage of the covenant with God, that the people of God will last with God because God is, is, is eternal, and that's where he's at. One scholar says it this way. He says, Habakkuk found it utterly unthinkable, the extinction of God's people and the destruction of their covenant relationship with Yahweh. He based his conclusions on two truths, the immutable and everlasting Lord who will not break his covenant with Israel and the holy and righteous God who will not allow sin to go unpunished in Israel or in her foes. This is why he says we shall not die. He's not saying like, oh no, we shall not die like I will physically die. He's saying, no, the people should not be annihilated. And what he had seen, what Habakkuk had seen and heard, probably heard, not seen necessarily, of the Babylonians is just how horrible they were. Like, they just annihilated people. They just annihilated. And so he's going, how are you, how are you going to raise up these people and you're going to, you're going to do these things? And this is, this is where he's saying, like, how, how is this possible? And they're not going to annihilate us when, it, when you are of everlasting. See, the, the judgment is, it almost seems like it's a, it's a judgment, like an end sentence, but it's actually reproof. And he says this, he says, he says, you're coming at me with proof. Establish them for reproof. Now, establish and ordain. There's two things we have to understand this. Again, it literally means that God has done it. So he's, he's giving God the credit. He's saying, look, you've done this, but it doesn't seem to add up to who you are. You've, you've made this thing. You've created this opportunity. You've ordained them. You've established them. And so I'm, I'm wrestling. I'm holding on in desperation, clinging to the fact that I know who you are, God. I know what scriptures say of God. I know my relationship with you, but it doesn't add up. And many of you today, you're, you're feeling the same way. You're feeling the exact same way in whatever circumstance may have you, or if it is this circumstance, or you felt this way before. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I promise at some point, you will get to this pot in your faith. A moment of, of complete desperation where the only truth you can hold on to is who he is, is his character based on, on knowing what God is, is truly capable of and knowing what God is, who he says he is in the scriptures. This is something that every single one of us wrestle with. And so when wrestling with God, Habakkuk comes going, wait a minute, I, I, can't, I can't connect. I can't connect the character of God to the reproof that you've just said. It doesn't make sense. The third way when wrestling with God is we must, we must come based on a relationship to him. Now, this one, this one I think is the one that gets us in the most trouble. Now, see, Habakkuk, at this time, he has the Torah. He doesn't necessarily have any of the other scriptures. He doesn't even have his book necessarily, <laughs> but he doesn't have any of the New Testament. Well, when we go to the New Testament, we see scripture upon scripture upon scripture that talks about who we are. When I say we, those that are surrendered to Christ, we are 
We are his children, adopted in. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are righteous. We are chosen. There's, there's just scripture upon scripture upon scripture that continues to speak into us about who we are and our relationship to God. And what's unbelievable to me is that so often when we get frustrated with God, when we, when we get in a desperate situation, we literally kind of kick the table over, push away, and leave. Leave the table. We run from the Lord as opposed to running to the fact that we have a relationship with the Most High God, that we, we can stand faithfully, confidently in front of God, not based on anything we've done, but based on the fact that Jesus Christ has done it, and we are clothed in His righteousness. See, back in this situation, even after that first, com- that first question, are you not from everlasting, even if he was being incredibly feisty and sarcastic, which again, it's just hard to say. I, I think that's not necessarily where he's going, but either way, even if he's doing it, right after that, he says, oh Lord, my God, my God, that is a possessive thing, my Yahweh. This is, this is, this is my God. You are my beloved God. It's a personal relationship. It's a personal God. He's not saying your God. How dare your God? And many, many people ask that question. I've, I've talked to many people that, that claimed to follow Jesus at some point, but a long time have moved on and said, I could never, your God, he's blah, 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 blah. No, this is it, Lord, my God. When wrestling with God, we got to come to him based on our relationship to him. We got to come to him recognizing that he has put us in a right spot with him. And so to push away and to run from God makes no sense at all. Instead, Habakkuk goes, no, you're my God. You're my holy one. You're mine. I, I have you and you have me and you are of everlasting. So therefore, that is not just a momentary fleeting relationship. That is an eternal relationship. He said, my God, how, how can you do this? This doesn't make sense. You're, you're mine and we shall not die, meaning we shall live on forever with you. We have in the New Testament the scriptures that point to the resurrection after Jesus Christ when he comes again. We know that in him, as his children, we will live forever in his presence where there is no sin, there is no frustration, there are no desperate moments anymore. But Habakkuk, he comes in, he says, man, you're my God. He refers to him as a rock. God is the rock is a term first applied to Yahweh in Deuteronomy 32.4, and it, it literally indicates almighty stability and security. Now hear this. How often in our troubles, in our difficulties, when we're wrestling with God, do we feel unstable? Do we feel insecure? And he's saying literally, he's coming to us like, you're my rock. You've done this. You're my God. You're my holy one. You are from everlasting. We shall not die. What are you doing, God? I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I'm coming to you for security and strength and understanding and stability. God is, is doing something. It's been according to the counsel of God. This is why he's ordained it. And it's designed and directed for wise and holy ends. But I don't get it. I don't get it. And so often in our lives, we want to answer the why question. Why is this happening? Why, why did this place it? And that's what we talked about last week. Look, sin is the enemy. God is about bringing glory to himself. Everything he, that is happening, he, he sees, he's sovereign over, he allows. Is he the one doing it? No, we can't say that for certainty, but we will know in the end he will get the glory. But we have to remember he is our God. Pushing away, running from God when you're wrestling with him is the worst idea. Stepping out from the stability and the security of your rock in, in the hardest of times, that's just foolishness. And that's exactly what the enemy would love to do. This is why we've seen so many people run from God in the church when it gets difficult. I believe mostly because they don't have an understanding of who he really is or what their relationship with him really means. 
But at the end of the day, Habakkuk here, as he's wrestling, he's coming to God. He's coming to him, and he's coming to him honestly. And he's coming to him based on his character, and he's coming to him based on his relationship to him. It's a big thing. The next one is, is, is the next, the number four in this is when wrestling, we must question God based on God's truth. This is kind of based through the verses 13 through 17 here. He, he brings these questions to God, and they're really, really brilliant questions, but they're all based on the truth of God. And as I started trying to think about different ways that people question God on things that aren't based on his character or the relationship or, or things that basically aren't truth of there, one, one of the ideas I had is, is, is this picture that we believe that life is supposed to be all about our comfort. Nowhere in the scripture does God say, hey, I'm saving you so that you can just have the easiest life ever, that everything you get and do and come across will just be like fluffy bunnies and rainbows and, and unicorns and like perfect all the way across the board, and you'll get whatever you want. Nowhere does it say that. In fact, he says over and over and over again, in fact, it's the exact opposite. In this world, you will have tribulation, but don't worry, I have overcome the world. Or to follow me, you must die to yourself daily. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like, there's some harsh realities, harsh truths about what it means for us to follow the Lord. And so often as children of God, as, as professed believers, we come to God sometimes based on, on things that aren't true of him at all. One of the other things is kind of the idea of a self-righteous person. So a lot of self-righteous people will seek the kingdom of God. So he says, seek, seek first the kingdom of God and everything will be added to you. A self-righteous person hears that says, look at all the things I'm doing for you, God. Now give me what I want. And that's not what he's saying there. He's saying, no, like we seek the kingdom of God. We seek his purposes and he takes care of everything else. We take that one step further and we base these questions. We start questioning God based on truths that aren't even true of him. Even the question of how can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people, we have to establish the fact that no one is good apart from God. So even that question is, is misplaced on some truth that we don't necessarily understand. It's like a half-truth. And if you're paying attention to Scripture, the enemy is really good about giving you half-truths, which is not a truth at all. It's a lie. And so we have to come to God based on Him and what we know on His truths, on what, what does the Scripture say about God. So having grounded his confidence in the nature and the purpose of God and his relationship to God, he now moves on to questioning God. And this is where he starts questioning him. We see this all in here. He said, the, kind of the burning question remained in Habakkuk's heart. This is it. Why would the everlasting, preeminent Yahweh, the absolute holy one, the immutable permanent rock, utilize so wicked a people to administer discipline to his covenant people? He's literally asking, backing himself, had called on God Almighty for just such a treatment of his own contemporaries. So he'd already asked, like, God, would you do something because your people are not following you? So he's, he's already asked God to do something, but when God said, hey, don't worry, I am doing something, Habakkuk's like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. That does not compute. That does not make sense. How in the world could you do this? A destruction that resembles an utter devastation, how could it be? A deportation that reverses the total direction of God's electing mercy. Think about this. He's literally saying, I'm going to take all of my people, and they're either going to be killed or they're going to be taken up in captivity and, and done. He's like, wait, we, we do this whole Passover thing. Like, Josiah just put the Passover based on what you did on freeing us out of slavery from the Egyptians, and now you're just going to do that all over again? So his, his wrestling is like, I don't understand. I know your scriptures. I see them. Or I understand who you are, but what you're doing what you're saying you're doing doesn't make sense to me. And so the first question based out of verse 13 is, why would God employ a people of iniquity? 
right? He's, he's like, what, what are you doing? Like, how can you employ these people? It, this is based on his understanding of Psalm 5, 4 through 5. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. He's, he's going, wait, why would a God, why would a God employ a people of iniquity, of sin, when this is what God says about iniquity, when this is how God feels about people? So his question is based on his understanding of who God is. These Chaldeans, they're ruthless, they're horrible people. The Lord has declared it wrong for a witness to keep silent. We see that in Leviticus 5. He says it's wrong for someone to keep silent when they see evil and not say anything. So why then, Habakkuk's like, why then are you seemingly remaining silent about a wicked people, uh, an evil, an evilness uh, pulling on this? So he's, he's wrestling with God based on God's truth. He's wrestling with what he knows about him. The second question comes out of kind of verses 14 through 15. He says, look, it's this idea of this, the fish and the dragnets and the hook is why would God endorse a people of injustice. Why would God do that? Why would he endorse them? Why would he endorse someone that operates so, so void of any true justice? Uh, he's getting this from Psalm 9, 7 through 8. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for what? For justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. Then why in the world would he condone or work with people of injustice? In fact, just a little bit of history, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, they adopted a practice of the Assyrians. When they, when they confronted or they, they attacked somewhere and they had won the war and they beat them all out in place and then they took the slaves with them, what they would do is they'd drive a hook in the soft, their lower part of their lower lip and they would string them along to each other and they'd pull them along with a hook under the lip. So this is not just metaphorical. He's literally saying, look, these are the people that they have no justice. They'll drive hooks through children and women, and they have this hunger for people to just destroy things. How in the world could you go on with this? He says, you make, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, meaning ultimately you make your people like they have no ruler. You make them like they have no ruler. They're fish of the sea. They're crawling around. They have no God. And yet we are a people of you. You are our God. How can you do this to your people? This is the questioning that Habakkuk has. Can you feel the desperation of him? Can you, this, this is the conversation that's coming to God after years of seeing it go wrong and wrong and more wrong and more wrong. And he just feels it's like, how? You, you make us lower than these things. You, you, you bring them all up with a hook, and you drag about their net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he's, it's this picture of just dropping out a net, and fish have no way to protect themselves. And they just pull the net up and empty the net out. And he's like, these are people that their, their injustice is not, is not partial, <laughs> at least. They, they are injustice. They, they strive for injustice to every single person they interact with. It's an absolutely horrible situation. How can he endorse a people of injustice. And then out of verses 16 through 17, the, the next question he asks is, why would God excuse a people of idolatry? Speaking about if someone tells you to worship a false god, prior to this text, in Deuteronomy 13, 10, it says, you shall stone him to death with stones because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God. That's a light little scripture to take that, enjoy that, have fun, right? He, he's saying, look, this is what God says about anyone that tries to force you to worship someone else. And he goes in here and he says, look, these people, they worship, their, they make offerings to his dragnet for they live by them in luxury or in fatness. The, the, and his food is rich. So he's saying the Babylonians, they not only been ruthless and horrible and they're instruments of human torture and cruelty, but they worship them. 
Because they, their instruments have given to them an abundance of temporal pleasures. So they start worshiping, and they've found a way in their twisted imagination to, to literally turn worship into their brutality, into their processes, into their nets, the way that they've captured people. They are literally turning and worshiping the created, not the creator. It is the, the exact definition of idolatry. And, and Habakkuk is going, wait, in Deuteronomy, and you tell us, you tell us that if someone were even considered to ask you to worship something other than you, that we are to put them to death. What are you doing? How can he tolerate such perversity? Like, what, what is going on here? It's interesting because the net, he turns his net upside down, he turns his net upside down, dumps out the maimed humanity he has captured, and then without interruption goes forth to collect more victims. The question in this is, is the determination to execute unending atrocities to continue without interruption forever. Meaning, is, is he really going to just keep doing this? Like he's, he's just going to keep turning his nets over? You've, you've raised him up. Habakkuk, he has one really great understanding about who God is. If God's the one that's doing it, then no one can stop it but God. If God's the one that's allowing this or he's, he's in this place, there's nowhere else he can turn. There's no world power that can thwart God's power. So he's saying, how can you do this? How can, how can, how can our God, how can you let them worship? It's almost like, it's almost like Habakkuk's kind of, trying to bait God into this, in this last one. Like, hey, they, they worship other idols. Like, almost like he's trying to bring out the jealousy of God. Like, he's pleading to the jealousy of God. God is a jealous God. So, God, they're worshiping other things. They're worshiping the things, the tools that you've given them to use to destroy your people. Doesn't that upset you? Doesn't that anger you? He's going, it doesn't make sense. That should just drive you nuts. Based on what I know of you, these things don't add up. And so he comes to God with these questions. He comes to him very directly, very, very frustratedly. I mean, very kind of feisty in this. All the while still wrestling. Remember, to come to him honestly and to, to wrestle with him based on the character you know of him and to wrestle based on the, on, the, on the fact that you have a relationship with him. And when you ask these questions, ask these questions of God based on what's true of God. You notice how he's not asking God questions that aren't things that he's already spoken to him. He's not asking about hypotheticals. Well, what if in this scenario, and he's not working somewhere, no, he's coming directly to him. He's wrestling with the Lord, saying, are you going to answer? And then he does one of the things that I think that we, as a people today, need to learn so badly when it comes to wrestling with the Lord. I think many of us have maybe made it through this first part. Many of us have gone, if you've been in that moment, and I'm not talking about a hardship like, oh, no, I you know, I, I lost my keys in, in my house today. That's not kind of hardship. I'm talking about a desperation hardship where there are no other means to, to answer this question. You have no other way of getting out of it. You are, you are before the Lord. Like, you're losing sleep over it. It's kind of like your resting state of mind. Like, you can be distracted for a moment, but the instant you're not distracted, your mind goes back to this problem, this situation. That's where Habakkuk is. He's just, he's stuck in this. And so he comes to God, but he does something brilliant. Look at what he does in chapter two, verse one. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what you will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, in this section, this is where we get the kind of the fifth, and I, I really think one of the primary focuses and things that we need to be ready to do when wrestling with God. When wrestling with God, we must wait on him expectantly. We are not a people of waiting. Like we complain about long lines. We complain about long hold times on phone calls. We, we struggle to wait. And he's saying, no, this is what he does. He goes in this beautiful picture. It's, it's modeled for us 
in, in all of two through one. Psalm 135 through six says this, I, will, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. Now, my soul waits, that's like the center of who we are, the entirety. It's not just like, okay, I'm waiting until it's time for you to show up. Like we got our watch and we're watching it. It's like my soul waits. It's just to sit in it, to the center of who I am. I'm just gonna sit in it. And in his word, I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Meaning I'm gonna spend more time looking for the Lord all night long, whatever it takes, more than even the watchman looking for the first light. This waiting is, is a beautiful thing. Three, insta- three earlier instances of, of kind of waiting, we see Moses hid the cleft in the rock and stood in waiting to see God's glory pass from him in Exodus. We see Balaam went aside to stand in waiting for the revelation that God might bring to him in Numbers 23. We see Elijah was commanded to go to the mountaintop and stand in waiting. God commanded him to do so and stand in waiting for the revelation of God that would Revelation of God that would come, 1 Kings 19. So we see over and over and over again, we see these kind of these pillars of faith, these people in the scriptures that they have been either commanded or they spent time waiting. And we are just so impatient. There's got to be a correlation to the reason why one of the fruits of the spirits is patience. There's got to be a connection there, guys. We wait. So what does he say? He says, I will station myself at this tower. Now, these are, these are language that makes sense to them. I'm going to kind of try and modernize it today. Station myself at, our, uh, at the tower is kind of an idea of emptying ourselves. That's what he's saying. He's saying, like, I'm going to empty myself. The prophet standing upon his tower or high place shows us that those that expect to hear from God, if you expect to hear from God, then you withdraw from the world. You empty yourself of any distraction. You, you, don't, you don't allow any other distraction to come in. This is like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do any social things. I'm not going to watch TV. I'm not going to pick up Netflix. I'm not even going to read novels. I'm going to empty myself of anything and everything because I need to hear from you and you alone, God. I need your spirit to speak to me. So the first thing that Habakkuk does in posturing himself to wait expectantly is he empties himself. He goes to his tower. He removes every distraction from his life, and he gets ready. He removes it all. He must raise his attention or fix their thoughts on God. This is what it means for us to empty ourselves. The second thing he says, it kind of takes action. He says, take my stand. I'm going to take my stand. This means, this means that waiting actually takes action. So often when we think of waiting, we think of doing nothing. We think of twiddling our thumbs, sitting in a hammock outside, and, and the breeze gumming, and nothing happens. It's not a, a dormant state of sleeping. It takes action. To stand in something means that I will study the scripture. I will let the Lord speak his truth over me. It means that I will be in a position that isn't tossed to and fro by every doctrine or every so-called professional in the health industry or in our world or in the news right now. Like, I see people just getting tossed back and forth. You're not waiting on the Lord because you're being tossed to and fro. It takes action. It takes pressing into his scriptures, not just relying on what scriptures you've read in the past, but literally searching out the scriptures and not searching out the scriptures to try and make a point, but searching out the scriptures to know God and let him make his point in you. To take your stand is an active process. It's seeking out healthy wisdom from brothers and sisters. It's asking them, like, I feel like the Lord has pushed on me, or I'm understanding this scripture this way. Does it not make sense? You see, it actually pushes you into relationship, not away. The third thing we see him doing is waiting expectantly. It seems kind of obvious, but, but when he says, I will station myself, he's, he's saying, I'm waiting, believing, knowing, confident that he is going to show up. A, f- a few years ago, I, I took my kids. This is when 
Priscilla was really little. Jen was pregnant with Judah, and we had our two olders. We took them to Disneyland, and we did the open to close, like 8 a.m. to midnight. It was a long day, but they all did really, really well. And I, I'm always intrigued by my kids when I was stand, when we were standing in the lines, and they're always long lines, and everywhere in, you can't go anywhere in Disneyland without a line. But I watched as my kids, and maybe not the same way the back of here, I watched as they waited expectantly. They were waiting. They were at moments very impatient, right? But the reason why they thought the waiting was worth it because they believed that the end result was better than the waiting. They believed that what they were going to get was worth three hours of line for the three minutes of ride. Like they, they believed that that was more valuable than the time waiting. When we wait expectantly, we believe that what the Lord will give us is better and greater than anything we can get from anything else, and we believe he will come. We should be waiting expectantly. We should be pushing into him. This is kind of the, the, the nature of healthy doubt. It, it's similar to this idea. Like, like if, you, if you believe that God is who he says he is, you understand his truths, you understand his character, you understand your relationship, but it's not adding up. Well, then healthy doubt says, I'll wait, I'll wait. Because what I'm understanding of God and what I know of God, they're not computing, they're not, they're not aligning. And I know that I can wait on the Lord and he will bring those to alignment because only he can reconcile those differences. It's only him. And so, so when, when you wait expectantly, it's waiting with the expectation that something good is coming, that God is going to answer, that he's, he's not just flippant and out there and like, oh, I, I totally, I lost sight of you that day, Brent, I'm sorry, like, uh, can you repeat the question? No, waiting expectantly is knowing that he is going to answer, knowing that he is going to bring the truth to us and recognizing that we have got to take our stand, empty ourselves and do these things. And then the last one he says in this section is, is actively looking and waiting expectantly. He says, look out. Looking, looking to the scriptures, to the Lord, to his community, shows the fact that you believe, again, that he will answer. I will look up, around, I will watch, and see what he will say unto me. When we pour out our complaints and requests before God, we must carefully observe what God's answers gives um, by his word, his spirit, and his providences. When David says, I will direct my prayer unto thee as an arrow to the mark, he adds, I will look up, will look after my prayer. As a man does after the arrow, he has shot. Psalm 5, 3. Habakkuk will not attempt to reconcile in his own understanding the questions he has in God. Instead, he has focused his laser, his, his, his target, his arrows, everything directly at the Lord and says, I will look at him. And if he's over here, I will look over here. If he's over here, I will look over here. I will not be distracted by this. And this is where we mess up in waiting. We maybe even search the scriptures and we spend some time we asking and they're like, okay, good enough. I, I, I gotta get going. Like life needs to happen. What if he says, I want you to wait for years? What if God says that to you? What if he says the, se the season that you're in, you don't understand it, but I'm doing so many things for your sanctification process, for the people around you sanctification process, and in all of this, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of, of me, the glory of my, my glory. It'll all be filled there. What if he says, I want you to wait for the rest of your life? He's gonna answer it. He just may not answer it through this life. He might answer it in the resurrected life. You wait, you look. God's ways are higher than man's ways. Only by revelation can genuine perplexities of God's dealings be answered by God himself. We don't, we don't need anyone else to answer those things. I'm not saying that we can't seek it out and, and study and work together, but at the end of the day, our wrestling, our wrestling is with him. It's with him because we, we believe he's not in control. We believe that he's, he's messed up. Our wrestling is with him. And then the last part of this in waiting expectantly is submission. He says, what I will say concerning his answer. Now, when I first read this, I was reading this like, wow, that's like listening 
but not really listening. Like when someone's talking to you and you're, you're, <laughs> you're thinking about what to say before he's even responded. And as I studied a little bit more, I realized that this actually shows just immense submission from Habakkuk. The, the, even the answer could be, I am corrected. See, I think Habakkuk is quite aware of the audacity of his most recent remarks. He, is, he has challenged the propriety of the purposes of the Lord himself. It is understandable, therefore, that he braces himself for a righteous, straightforward rebuke from the Lord. So he says, man, I, from, from this we see that Habakkuk didn't ask God this question because he thought God was wrong and had to explain himself. He asked it because he knew that he was wrong and needed to be corrected. His questions were his invitation to God saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't get it, but I know that you are right in all things. Please speak to me and please correct me. See, I think that's one of the areas we get just totally upside down in waiting on the Lord is we don't believe that he's going to correct us. We believe that he's going to affirm us or validate us. And so often in waiting, so often in waiting, we lose sight of this. I, I had asked Debbie, get her, she comes here. I asked her, I said, hey, can you share some of your thoughts on this, this text and with, with waiting? And she says, when things continue without an answer or something gets worse. So she's talking about like when waiting on God, and it, do, it doesn't come easy, when, when we're waiting, when it gets harder and harder, she says this. She says, this is a crucial time. Because God means it to bring us even closer to him as we see him as a sovereign and working his goodwill. But that knowledge doesn't come without a laying down of our thinking, emotions, and will. And that does not come easy. How are you doing on this? Especially in this time. Have you, have you wrestled with God? See, when wrestling with God in, in this way, he will graciously give us a posture that is needed to be in communion with him. Think about it this way. Habakkuk, you see him softening. At the end of it, he, he ends with, I will take the joy, joy in the Lord of my salvation. Like, I will, I will worship you. He's worthy of praise. Like, he's coming to him. First, it's how long, O oh God, to I will take joy in the God of my salvation. There's a, there's a wrestling. It brings you into communi- communion with him. Submission that brings about an even more honest praise in him. No matter how honest your complaints or your wrestling or your questions of God are, you will come out with a more honest praise of him. Because you'll see how he moves and how he works. He shows you this. So how are you doing this? How are you doing on waiting? I'm, I'm sure there's some of you like, Brent, you don't realize how long I've been waiting. I don't mean to be insensitive, and I don't mean to, to minimize your pains, because I guarantee your pains are real, and, and God cares about your pain. We see that all over in the scripture. But we have to reconcile a truth that God has told us over and over again that we forget, that our life, this life that you're living, this life that I am walking in right now, even though it, it took me 40 years to get to, to, to me today, is a vapor in the eyes of God. It's a vapor. God is, is before the beginning of time. He's, he's, be, he's outside of time. To him, it's a vapor. So if he's working the, the, what seems like the slow, long, arduous game of my life where he's going to take 60 years to finally help me understand this point of him, in his mind, that was that. I would argue that most of us can rarely wait for maybe even five minutes, sometimes a day. Have you, have you waited on the Lord like this for a week? Let's just ask the really obvious question. Last 10 or so weeks, how have you been waiting on the Lord? How have you been wrestling with him? Have you been wrestling in a way that, that is true of his character, that's true of your relationship with him, that's true of the truths we know of him, or have you just been all out screaming, whining, kicking, complaining, blaming, running? Have you sat with the Lord? Have you asked him to speak to you? Or have you, have you let the news articles and whatever else you're studying be your answer? At some point, look, you're, you're going to get desperate. You're going you're gonna to have that feeling like something's got to give. And let me just help you in that process. When you get to that level of de- desperation, if there's any other option besides God, you will always go to that one first. Because when we go to God, you know what he does? He 
puts us back in our place. He brings us to a position of worshiping him, whether we understand it or not. Look, here's the beautiful thing. Habakkuk never gets his circumstances changed. <laughs> Nothing changes. In fact, he's just told his circumstances are going to be a whole lot worse. But what does he do? Because he's had the conversation with God. He's like, man, I, I, will, I will praise him. Now, one of the most simplest truths that is completely missed out of this text, and I didn't really spend a lot of time talking about, and I won't have a lot of time to talk about, is the simple truth that God answers our prayers. I think so often we forget, like, man, I, I just don't know. Like, like, God answers our prayers. Think about it this way. He answers Habakkuk, and let's be honest, Habakkuk isn't coming to him the best way. He's not coming like, okay, here's my position, and I love you, all these things. He's coming like, how long, God? Where are you at? Are you kidding me? Like, he's wrestling with God. And what does God do? God, in the, in the universe of all the people going on, he steps out and he has a conversation with him. Well, the same is true for you and me today. Don't believe the lie that he's not paying attention to you. Psalmist tells us that there's nowhere we can go to escape God. Nowhere. Nowhere. Hebrews tells us that, God, that Jesus is literally interceding, praying for us individually on our behalf before the Lord. Guys, we can't even compute that because we're incapable of doing it, but God isn't incapable of doing it. He does it, and he's faithful to do it. He answers prayers. So how many of us have gone to the Lord with prayers? We, it's, it's a genuine desire. Man, I really want this, but we actually believe Somewhere deep down, or maybe we wouldn't say it out loud, that we're kind of just speaking in air because we don't believe God can do it. And instead of waiting on the Lord to do it, we start trying to find our own means to do things, which brings us to start idolizing other things. Well, if I, man, if I hadn't taken that job, if I hadn't done this, what if, what if this? I'm so glad so-and-so did this. And we start worshiping the created. That's like picturing this whole building getting done. And we, we did all the work here. And everything was great. And we did all this work. And someone walks in and he's like, man, this is incredible. Can I see that hammer? And they start worshiping the hammer as if the hammer is what did it. And that's what we do. We forget that our answers, whether he does it through common grace or direct, incredible, miraculous ways, God did it and he answers. So would you press into him? Would you wait with him? Debbie also said this when talking about wrestling. She said, the greatest reward is being pressed into knowing him. And I think so often that's what, that's what wrestling with God does is he's pressing us into knowing him. Our minds are renewed, and we see more clearly from God's perspective, and that produces hope and peace. See, we keep looking to other things for hope and peace. We keep hoping that, that this relationship or this finances or this, this successes or these careers or this college at, um, degree, all of these other things will bring hope and peace. They won't. That only comes through God. She goes on and says, God answers always. We may not see it in this life, but we are to wait in prayer on him. There is no way that you can spend time with God. No way. There's no way you can spend time with God and not have a heart change. You're either going to lock yourself up and run from him, or you're going to sit and you're going to let him surgically work and cut away the things that aren't of him, and it'll result in you broken before the Lord, praising him for his goodness. So will you wrestle with God? You know, it's, it's interesting. We, we see kind of Habakkuk, and I'll end here, I promise. I'm not going to go forever. We see Habakkuk wrestling with the Lord in a moment of de just desperation. Again, I, I don't think we can understand, even understanding the history that leads up to where he is and, and understanding the situations. Like, he, he literally, he got an answer from God. And, and some scholars believe that, that from Habakkuk's first prayer and answer to the second prayer, there's actually some time that passes. And, and in that time, is, is he waiting? Is he, is he, like, afraid to come back to God? But, like, I, I mean, I, I, picture, I picture Habakkuk here, like, writing this, like, this last complaint, knowing full well that God's going to answer him. 
And I picture him like literally like, getting a pen at the right in the last pen and then laying down to sleep and he can't sleep. He can't sleep because it's just his mind is on it and there's nowhere for him to turn. There's nowhere for him to turn. He can't in any way, in any space, in any place, find somewhere else to go. And so he knows that the Lord's there. And I picture him just being desperate. And some of you, you're desperate. You're desperate for your marriage to come back together. You're desperate for your kid to know the Lord. You're desperate to make it out of this whole social distancing COVID-19 thing in a healthy way. You're desperate for, for so many things. Stop looking to the world for answers. Wrestle with God. And wrestle with God in a way where you do it beautifully, where you come to him honestly, where you wrestle with him based on the relationship you have with him, where you wrestle based on his character, and where you wrestle with him asking him to answer, questioning God based on God's truth, and where you are ready and waiting expectantly. Let me pray, and we'll, we'll continue. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for, for preserving Habakkuk's prayer with you for us. For me this week, it has been so good to be reminded that I can't do it on my own. I can't do anything on my own. In the instant I do try to do it on my own, that's when I grow weary, and that's when I grow tired, and I grow exhausted, and I get complacent. Father, you are a good God, and I pray that as we wrestle with you, God, you be glorified. I pray that you would draw us to you in a way that when we're wrestling, God, no matter how hard or how real we come or how raw we even come, God, I pray you do exactly like you did to back. You would turn our hearts. You'd turn our hearts to praising you because that's all that is worthy of anything good is praise of you. We pray that you'd bring glory to our lives through this, God, as we wrestle through all sorts of things. God, would you remind every one of us just the simple truth that you are listening, you are aware, you are hearing. You aren't just kind of hearing it and moving on and ignoring it. You are listening. You hear the, the cries of our heart. You care about the cries of our heart, and you care about us more than those cries. Therefore, you answer accordingly, and we love you for that. I pray that as we wrestle, we would do so where we do not push away from you, but instead would draw near to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.